Star Wars 7x7 episode 736. Today we are back on the Clone Wars briefing series with Voyage of Temptation. It is season 2, episode 13 of the Clone Wars. And my oh my, one of the biggest revelations of the entire Clone Wars series to date. And is it a whopper? We'll get into it here. Punch it, Chewie. Feel a disturbance in the Force? It's Star Wars 7x7, your daily seven-minute podcast, with your host, Alan Voivod. Destiny Unleashed. Hey, Rebel Rouser. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod, and here is the deal with Voyage of Temptation. So, Basically, it's about a voyage, right? And it's the voyage specifically of Duchess Satine and a few senators to Coruscant to testify about what's going on on Mandalore and to tell the Republic to stay out of their business. And Obi-Wan and Anakin and a bunch of clone troopers are accompanying them on this voyage to make sure that the Duchess stays safe because there's a belief that Death Watch is going to try to assassinate the Duchess as soon as they possibly can. So they send the clones down into the cargo bay to see if there's anything there that shouldn't be there. And, you know, don't they have lighting systems in cargo bays? It seems like every time the clones are looking around for something or some creature or anything like that, like in dark, they're always in dark spaces that should have lighting built into the rooms itself and they don't bother with it for some reason. So they're lurking around with the flashlights on the helmets and following R2-D2 around, who's scanning the area, and R2 actually pulls a prank on one of the clone troopers, actually spooks him. It's more of a Chopper-like thing you would expect to see, Chopper from Star Wars Rebels, of course, but I guess R2 is not not uh, not averse to playing with the clone troopers every once in a while, but turns out that there are a couple of assassin probes that are on the ship, and they look very spider-like, and when you kill the big one, it has a little... Th- holes on the top of its head that all sorts of little tiny droids pop out of. Very annoying and very difficult for these little tiny things to be shot in a rapid enough manner by the clone troopers, and thankfully R2-D2 wheels behind the advancing horde. I guess they don't see R2 as a threat, but he starts rolling behind them and gets out his little electrocutor thing and starts shocking and zapping tons of them in, you know, one fell swoop, like, you know, whack, 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 and nailing like half a dozen of them at a time. So once again, R2-D2 kicking butt. So they eventually figure out that Tal Merrick, who's one of the senators on board, is the co-conspirator in the plot to kill the Duchess, and he takes the teen hostage so that way he can get away from the Jedi and everybody else, and ends up getting into the cockpit, calling Pre Vizsla. Pre Vizsla sends boarding parties with super battle droids in there that all have to get defeated, etc., etc., which leads to a showdown between Obi-Wan and Talmeric and Satine. Now, before we get to the resolution of that, we find out what has been going on with Obi-Wan and Satine. And man, oh man, this is awesome. Listen to this. Senators, I presume you are acquainted with the collection of half-truths and hyperbole known as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Your Highness is too kind. You're right, I am. Yeah, right there we start off with one of the harshest burns we've heard in the entirety of the Star Wars canon. I mean, that is only rivaled by Leia and her takedown of Han in The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, wow, that is harsh. 
and the verbal sparring continues from there. Eventually, Obi-Wan and Anakin are alone together, and Anakin decides to broach the subject with a conversational gambit that ranks in the top ten easily of stating the obvious. You and Satine have a history. An extended mission when I was younger. Master Qui-Gon and I spent a year on Mandalore, protecting the Duchess from insurgents who had threatened her world. They sent bounty hunters after us. We were always on the run, living hand to mouth, never sure what the next day would bring. Sounds romantic. And Anakin would certainly know a little something about that, wouldn't he? And we jump briefly to a scene with the clones in R2-D2, and we do jump back to this conversation again. And this is a bit of a longer clip, but it's worth the payoff at the end of it. Hang on. A civil war killed most of Satine's people, hence her aversion to violence. When she returned, she took on the difficult task of rebuilding her world alone. You didn't stay to help her? That would have been problematic. My duty as a Jedi demanded I be elsewhere. Demanded? But it's obvious you had feelings for her. Surely that would affect your decision. Oh, it did. I live by the Jedi Code. Of course. As Master Yoda says, a Jedi must not form attachments. Yes. But he usually leaves out the undercurrent of remorse. Ow. Ooh, ow, ow. You know what? First of all, that's dead on. You know, all of the Jedi talk about don't form attachments and don't do this and don't do that. And never touch on the emotional side of things. We always hear him talking about that and never addressing dealing with the feelings that result from, you know, having to detach from a situation, and I think that if the Jedi had been a little bit more sensitive to that sort of thing, maybe they wouldn't have lost their entire order, and they wouldn't have had 20 years of a galactic empire, but, eh, you know, that's Monday morning quarterbacking, I guess. But, wow, the undercurrent of remorse, oh, that is a tough one, so thank you very much, Clone Wars folks, and thank you, James Arnold Taylor, the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi, for bringing this to the table. Man, that was a, a really well-done moment. And, yeah, explains, I think, a lot about Obi-Wan Kenobi's character just in general, too, about why he has become more warlike, for lack of a better. He's kind of slipped into a bit of a... I wouldn't say a dark side kind of situation per se, but he's probably indulged himself a little bit more on the you know, soldier side of things than he necessarily would have if he hadn't been through that situation, I would think. And then you have the payoff of the whole thing, which happens at the end of the episode where Tal Merrick has Satine hostage and is just this close to escaping. And Satine thinks she's done for and has to give her last words out. And this is where the exchange goes from there. I've loved you. From the moment you came to my aid, all those years ago. I don't believe this. Satine, this is hardly the time or place for... All right. Had you said the word, I would have left the Jedi Order. That is touching. Truly it is. But it's making me sick, and we really must be going. And Merrick's counterpoint and all of that is pretty amusing, I gotta say, but... I think we expected this from Satine with the events of the episode happening as they had, but Obi-Wan's response, oh man, I wanted better from you, Obi-Wan, I wanted better from you, it's, it's a cop-out, it is such a guy cop-out, him saying, if you had said the word, I would leave the Jedi Order, I'm sorry, Obi-Wan, it's not on her 
to be the person to do that. It's not her responsibility to say, Obi-Wan, leave the Jedi Order for me. It's only her responsibility to say, hey, I love you. And it's Obi-Wan's responsibility to say, hey, I love you too. I'm leaving the Jedi Order for you because I would rather be with you than be with the Jedi Order. Don't put that on her. That just ain't right. I was disappointed in Obi-Wan for that one. But I got to say, the episode at least did its job because it had me involved and had me actually caring enough to say, oh, come on, Obi-Wan, don't pull a stunt like that. But... Anyway, so ultimately it comes down to Satine and Obi-Wan getting the drop on Merrick and Satine having him at gunpoint, Obi-Wan at lightsaber point. And yeah, now they're faced with a choice. He can still detonate the ship, Tal Merrick can, because he's got explosives on it naturally. If Satine kills him first, then she's a hypocrite because she's supposed to be a pacifist. And if Obi-Wan kills Tal Merrick, then that's just going to make Satine mad because she doesn't advocate violence. And they their future together will be moot, as it were. Not that it wasn't moot already, but what are they going to do? How will they possibly defeat Tal Merrick? Because neither of the two of them can actually kill him. Well, it occurs occurred to me that Obi-Wan could just slice his hand off, you know, the hand that holds the uh, detonator for the thing. Like, that could have happened, but mm, didn't happen that way. Instead, suddenly, wham, lightsaber goes through his back and out his front, out of Tal Merrick's front, and it's Anakin who happened along and is happy being the killer. Here's the scene, and listen in there, too, for a very subtle piece of the Imperial March playing behind this one, too. He was going to blow up the ship. Of course, Anakin could have cut off Merrick's hand too, but nope, not his style. So that's going to do it for this episode. We will be talking about Duchess of Mandalore the next episode in the season and the last of the three-episode arc. But it's going to be two weeks from now that we do that on July 23rd because next week we're going to be at Star Wars Celebration Europe. And oh boy, that's going to be an action-packed time. If you had to name an iconic special effect from the Star Wars movies, holograms would jump instantly to mind. From the moment Princess Leia appeared in R2-D2's very sneakily done Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi, You're My Only Hope hologram, everybody has been captivated and transported by the mystery of the technology as well as the mystery of the story it told. That's why I want you to check out SW7X7.com slash hologram to see what Zebra Imaging created with the R2-D2 and Princess Leia scene, as well as their other holograms as well. It's almost as good as having the real thing right in your home. One more time, that's SW7X7.com slash hologram to see it for yourself. All right, I've got a trivia question here for you. I've been waiting for this day for a long time. Last time we asked you what thing Finn's looking for but can't find in Nima Outpost, and that's a blaster. Today's question, what quote-unquote bad thing does Snoke sense in Kylo Ren? Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you go caressing a senator, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And if you want to join the inner circle of fans of the podcast, become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash SW7x7. It's not coarse like sand, it's destiny unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2016 Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.